Mr. President, what's your message to Democrats who don't want you to run again? They want me to run. Two thirds say they don't. Read the polls, Jack. You guys are all the same. That poll showed that 92% of Democrats, if I ran, would vote for me. A majority of Democrats say they don't want you to run again in no. 2024. 92% said if I did, they'd vote for me. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve. Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Another big week of content. Fellas, good to see you. Good to see you. Uh, We've got great stuff for you today. We've this is this stuff. is I'm I'm gonna it's like Babe Ruth I'm I'm pointing this is gonna be a banger of an episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, what do you think about the polls, Jack Opener? Uh, that was Joe Biden, your president of the United States, who uh, evidently does not have a total command of the polls. Did did we get the name of that journal or whoever like asked him this? Like it was no, it's a great question though. The video is incredible. So like he he asks him this question. And Joe Biden, he turns into the meme, the like ice cream, like, look at the polls, Jack, you know? And the guy just like dunks on him again. He was like, actually, like 92% don't want you to run, dude. Yeah. And, and, and also Biden sort of coming at him a little bit. Well, yeah. in that in that weird sort of stare that he had accompanying with it. Yeah. The, the thousand yard stare where you're not quite sure if he's really there. And I was kind of rumbling both sides as he was walking. It yeah. was tough to look at. And then he at. comes back and he asks the question again. And with the follow up, I mean, that's. That's ballsy. I mean, he's looking. I mean, he's looking rough. He, yeah. Biden, you know, especially if you see that video, he's not in a, in a good place. Not just in the polls, but physically. The guy's falling off bikes. I mean, it's not if good. If you're a Democratic president who's engaged in a full-on confrontation with a reporter about whether your own party wants to vote for yeah. you, it's not your best. How thing. did that happen? Like the journals are. They're, I think that's what shocked. He's like, your job is to protect me, Jack. Not good. Not good. Uh, we got a great guest in studio today, Congressman Jim Banks from the great state of Indiana, Duncan. That's right. Finally, somebody on my side on the, the great Indiana debate. Indianapolis. He's he, he's he's not from Indianapolis. He's, okay. he's a Fort Wayne guy, right? Yeah. He's refined his critique <laughs> to just one city. Indiana's a great state. <laughs> and Jim Banks, great interview, great congressman. Uh, we also want to talk up Predict It. Because, look, we're still very much in the season of things, including next, well, today. Today, yeah. By the time folks are hearing this, I mean, me personally, I guess I should give like a disclaimer. I've put money on Foldy <laughs> yeah. to win. It's, a, it's primary day. They got a Foldy market now, I'm predicting. Yeah. They got a Foldy market. And how do we go about getting the, uh, it's it's like uh, predicted.org slash ruthless20 something. I don't know. We'll figure it out it and is, give it to you by the end. It of is predicted dot org backslash promo backslash ruthless 20 and that's how you get your free 20 bucks yeah you get signed up it's free money especially now with inflation shit you, you put your 20 <laughs> Might bucks well get in, free money they give you 20 bucks uh, on top of it and then you can bet on things like foldy winning today yeah and 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 by the time folks are listening to this i should be i'll be in maryland you will see me at poll sites getting voters to vote for foldy i'm spending my day I can't wait. Yeah. I, we need to have pictures of that. I'm telling. Hey, I mean this. This goes back like like the story I've told. Oh, I still keep that pair of loafers with holes in them from from my days out on the street campaigning, and they're coming right back. There's the red wave things. is something we are doing, not something that's happening. And you know, I put my money where my mouth is, and I, and, and on 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 Foldy, my money and actually going out and putting the work in. 
Yeah, you're doing it. And you can get a good buy. He's an underdog currently, so you might as well get out there. Huge and, value buy, in my opinion. And get out there and get that done. Well, there's all kinds of good markets. I mean, look, Predict It has just sort of become part of our lives here on the Variety Program. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, so, so we have to go through it. We'll spend some time this week looking at other markets. Maybe we'll talk more about it Thursday. What do you think? Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of good value. I've been, you know, I don't want to brag too much. I've been doing pretty good lately on Predicted. Very happy with how that's been going. We got our guy Drew here who thinks he just cracked the code. Did he really? That's what he says. I'm not, I'm not, in, I don't want to. Oh, I saw him. He was, he was actually trying to write like an algorithm. He thinks, he thinks he knows how to trade this thing like, but I don't know. He's got that's, some sort of arbitrage play going on here. It's. Yeah, it's it, impressive. It really, it really is the best website. I yeah. just love it so much. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, in addition to all of that, there was some Hollywood news over the weekend. And I think for that, we need to introduce Hollywood Hen. There, the music. I'm back. (laughs) (laughs) Feels so good. It does feel so good. So, obviously, the big news was Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez. J-Lo got married. Yep. So, J-Lo and Ben Affleck tied the knot in Las Vegas on Saturday. Um, It was at the Little White Chapel. No way. Yeah, where everybody gets married. Wow. Wait, Um, so, so it's like literally just one of those... Like, isn't there the joke about the Little White Chapel that people, like, go out and have too much to drink and then just yeah. stumble oh, yeah. in and but get married? But it's also it's also where all the celebrities... Like, I think, like, Bruce and Demi got married there. Really? It's where Britney got married for her 72 hours. I think that was annulled. It was annulled, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And See, then, look at me. I know and then, and then he crashed her actual wedding, the same guy. That was the same dude? Yeah, the same guy. Wow. Um, But, so they had this, they had this very kind of, you know, Vegas wedding. She had two dresses that she wore. One of which she said she saved from a movie, and people are saying that it might be from a movie that they were both in—not Geely, but Jersey Girl. Huh? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I, that she had saved it from Jersey Girl. No confirmation, but everybody on the internet is mm-hmm. saying that that's where from one of the dresses is from. Was this um, a public wedding at all, or is it just the two of them? No, it was just the two of them. Well, I mean, I think like her hairstylist and stuff was there. Well, was well. But, so I, I saw this like CNN screenshot of CNN reporting on this, and I guess the, like there were some other folks there, like you know, members of the public milling about. Oh and yeah. CNN described it as like also present civilians. Yeah, she <laughs> she like, described gods it and also civilians. She, yes, and civilians. She just in her newsletter she was like, there was a couple ahead of us and behind us, and everyone was just celebrating love, and there we were, and then we got to take a picture by the pink Cadillac that Elvis. Huh. used to drive or whatever can you imagine you, you're like 25 you've got some net chick knocked up you just had to go to the uh the white chapel and make it legal and then all of a sudden like j-lo shows up behind you it's incredible and, and I, I mean i'm gonna go preemptive i have to say it dudes rock we all like this is the ultimate dudes rock moment because not just did ben affleck win He's won so hard. He's like, I'm going to go to Vegas and gamble like a degenerate. Also, honey, why don't we just get married there? Yeah. Well, you know, she's, and- she's putting up with him. He's like, oh, yeah, uh, let's, let's do the wedding thing. And he's right back at the blackjack table. And the chance. best part is, the best part is, so she had two dresses, right? One from this whatever movie she saved and then like a very fancy designer dress. And then it was like, and Ben Affleck 
Ben Affleck wore a jacket from his like a sports coat from like his closet. And real, big, then he, real big of him to clean and up. And then he posted a video of his getting ready suite from the Little White Chapel, and there's just graffiti in like in the mirror because he's in this random place getting ready. And so it's like she's has she's like posting all these pics on her Instagram and newsletter of like glamour, glamour. And he's like, no, dude, like I'm using my old jacket and like in this bathroom with graffiti That's on the so wall. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Dude, dudes rock. I mean, it really, rock. I have to say, like, I'm kind of over J-Lo. She's an idiot if she's marrying this guy. So, like, <laughs> no, I mean, he best won. of luck. I mean, he's actually, he's an absolute champion. Like, you look at the history of this guy. When's the last time he made a big, does anyone remember the last time he made a big movie? I mean, it's been a while. Argo, maybe? It's been a, And he's still gambling off it. It's still gambling off it. So he's got to have a hot hand. It is. It has been a while. So wait. So you told me there may be another development in terms well, of. Well, so she's changing her name. No. Legally to Jennifer Lynn Affleck. That she says, she, I think she, I think it said that she's going to keep Lopez as her like stage name, but she's like all in dropping Lopez on her like official <laughs> This is wow. a t- absolute victory. Absolute, the guy's got like a, a, a Phoenix tattoo on his back. <laughs> And he just gambles all day. She and JLo's al- like, I'm leaving Alex Rodriguez for this guy. <laughs> she also quoted, she was like, love is patient. Love is kind. Like on oh, her little thing. It. And she's like, love is very patient. 20 years patient. Love is all that matters. Like, and you know, and she's like, and that, we that- made it. You know, Oof. all the things that we wanted. It was just like, it's embarrassing. Is this it's gonna so last? Is this gonna last? No, of course oh, it's not yes, gonna it last. 100%. <laughs> I mean, maybe they're so old now at this point that it's like, that's the thing. We've just settled in and this is what it is. Like, you I think? don't know. It's like retard couples, you know, they're like, I, I want my husband to have like a, a hobby. And so he's just gambling all day. <laughs> and she keeps on Instagram. Like, this is gonna work. Get this is built f- for the long haul. Yeah. Yeah. Focus on his gambling habit. <laughs> love it I, I, I love that that's now his full-time job it's like, just, just bet on cards all day long now, and now if he's marrying i mean he doesn't yeah he doesn't have to lift a finger ever again doesn't have to do anything was there any like, news on a on a honeymoon or anything like so that? they haven't planned oh well so so one of the reports was saying that this um kicks off their wedding season so they're getting married now but then they're going to have a big wedding and People said they don't know where it's going to be, but then TMZ scooped them. Was like, we think it's going to be at Ben's Af- um, Ben's mansion in Georgia, like outside Savannah. Huh. So this was just step one. Like they they got legally married. They're going to have a ceremony likely in Georgia, and no honeymoon is planned yet. But then, yeah, gosh, so. how about that? And then, kind of the sad part. Well, actually, you know what? Not sad because she dodged a bullet. But when all this was happening. Jennifer Gardner started tw- started trending on Twitter. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's Dude, brutal. He went so hard. He went so much. I was like, leave that girl alone. At least she had the like smarts to get out of that can, situation. Can, can you imagine? Like, you never being, can escape Affleck. Being famous, <laughs> you can never being escape. Famous, you start trending because your ex, ex. is getting married. Yeah, that's, that's the worst. That's a tough scene. To so, another Jennifer, who was like previously, it's also messy. It is. It's also messy. It's awful. And there was no word whether a Rod actually took a, a run at Jennifer Garner, right? Because we remember we pontificated that the only way to get out from underneath this situation is if he went after his ex. Yeah, get yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, yeah. I don't think he did. Because I, think, I think Jennifer Garner's dating somebody else, actually. Huh. So, yeah. He bought the Timberwolves, though, at least with the proceeds that he could save on Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> And I anyway, think that's the quick snapshot of them. Incredibly well done. Thank you for coming. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, in other news, Jill Biden is having a tour. It's like a presidential obituary tour 
it kind of seems like to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a literal sense, like an obituary. I mean like the, the political the actual component. presidency. The yeah. actual presidency. Uh, this is from the Daily Mail. Jill Bi- Biden spoke at a fundraiser for the Democratic National Committee Saturday and said her husband uh, had so many hopes and plans for the things he wanted to do. <laughs> but Joe Biden added the POTUS wasn't able to prioritize his plans as the New York Times finds that 64% of Democratic voters would prefer a new candidate other than Joe Biden in 2024. <laughs> That's tough at the DNC because they're like, yeah, I mean, we agree with that. <laughs> and and they're like, it, it's it's... I, I, I just can't understand this situation where Democrats are like, okay, we want someone else. But they've gotten this, like, you know, it's like weekend at Bernie's. They've got this guy who's just a puppet for them to pass whatever they've wanted. You know, all, all yeah. every, their wish list, which has brought us to this point of such high inflation. And they still don't like And they still don't like the guy. They still don't like him. He did exactly what they wanted him to do. And of course, it didn't work. They're like, wait a minute, everything's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> So, but this is, uh, this is an interesting quote, right? I just kind of summarized it, but this is her quote, which gives you a perfect read into what we've been talking about, how it's never Joe Biden's fault. Yeah. Right. Uh, quote, the president had so many hopes and plans for things he wanted to do, but every time you turned around, he had to address the problems of the moment. She oh. told donors, he just had so many things thrown her his way. She just, added, "I I love how a, a DNC fundraiser is now like an open therapy session. Yeah, you know, like <laughs> that's how bad it is in their party right now. And also, it's just it's infuriating in the sense that you you compare a president who had." Horrible things happen while they're present. Like, I know the media always tries to frame every situation, most of which Biden caused, as these things are happening to Biden. Yeah. Well, President Trump had the coronavirus right. roll up. Every president he, does it happen. You're a fucking president of the United States. Right. And, and, and after, you don't just get, like, nothing. It's not like Jeopardy's on in the <laughs> afternoon when you're in the Oval Office. Like, you actually have to do stuff. And more yeah. Americans died of COVID under Joe Biden than under Trump. And when, when, when Trump hands off, to Joe Biden, like vaccines, you've got an infrastructure in place and everything. This guy's just a terrible president. That's what they can't come to terms with. Like all the policies that he's put in place, crippling America's energy industry. Like this all these is things, all on him. All these things have happened. Yeah. You know? So, but this comes on the heels of last week. Uh, the first lady's speech at another community event that received some criticism, <laughs> which you compared the San Antonio's Latino community to, quote, Breakfast tacos. <laughs> just the weirdest thing. <laughs> like how tone deaf you have to be. In the, in the, in like uh, in the aftermath, there were all these reports of like that passed multiple levels of like White House staff and speechwriters being like, yeah, all breakfast just, tacos. Just kidding. That should that should be a great idea. Like of course they had to apologize and everything because like every Latino group in Texas was like, we are not tacos. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if that's what she meant when she referred to him responding to all the problems of the moment. <laughs> her problems at the moment. She's like, I have to deal with all these breakfast tacos on top of everything else. <laughs> it's just incredible. She, uh, uh, in April 2021, uh, Biden made a similar gaffe when she mispronounced the phrase, si se puede, yes we can, to a group of farm workers in Delano, California. The gaffe from last week came as uh, President Biden's popularity amongst Latino voters continues to plummet, according to a recent Quinnipiac opinion poll. They found that Biden's approval rating among young Hispanic voters is at 26 oh, percent. Yikes. I don't know how it's possible that Jill Biden has all these gaffes. She's a learned doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's the one thing is like Biden might be declining, but at least he has a doctor next to him. Yeah. 
Well, all this good, like they can't figure out for the life of them why Hispanic voters are hating him, other than comparing him to breakfast tacos, which seems like yeah. they could have gotten like, that one. It's like insult to injury, where they're like, okay, so the economy's collapsed, you know, uh, <laughs> the price of gas and groceries has gone up. But listen, your breakfast tacos, folks, why don't you like me? <laughs> So, but there's also an Axios piece, which I think actually has more to do with why Hispanics and everybody else are turning south on this guy, entitled Dems Becoming the Party of the Out-of-Touch Elite. Uh, Let me Mm -hmm. just read a couple of paragraphs here. Shifts in the demographics of the two party supporters taking place before our very eyes are arguably the biggest political story of our time. Republicans are becoming more working class and a little more multiracial. Democrats are becoming elite and a little bit more white. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, we've been saying the variety program for two years now. Yeah. Um, Democrats' pow- uh, hopes for retaining power rest on non-white voters remaining a part of the re- reliable part of their coalition. Well, I mean, look. <laughs> <laughs> that is just like straight up taking up for granted. Like, you're taking your voters for granted. Like, listen, all our policies have made your life worse. Remember to vote for us. But yeah. that, that's the thing that it just, like, confounds me, right, is that they think that everybody just belongs into, like, a skin color. Yep. Uh, uh, silo, where it's like you you can't actually think about your own life. You can't think about what's better for your community or anything else. It's yeah. like, no, 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 we just vote because that's what we do, <laughs> you know? And that's like the, sincerely the way the Democrats have processed minority voting over the last 100%. 30 100%. years, right? But now, if you look at the economy, the hardest hit places are predominantly brown and black areas of this country where their business is the ones that hit, are hit first, right? Crime, same thing. And, and again, it goes right back to the whole issue of the elite where, you know, you have Democrat policies now being decided by these, like, coastal Ivy League white liberal professors who are like, yeah, defund the police. And then you go to communities that are actually affected by this, and overwhelmingly they're like, we need more police here. Right. This was this is on the heels of a pandemic that was a very different experience for a lot of Hispanic workers in this country who didn't have the luxury of sitting at home and reporting in from right. a laptop on a daily basis. Yep. They just lost their jobs because yeah. they worked in a hospitality industry that wasn't used for two years. Yeah, right, right. And it's not like they were getting the PPP loan. No, right. Now all of a sudden they get a job back and they get a little bit of money and they can't can't afford the the gas to get to work. But that's exactly right. So, listen to this. Democrats are statistically tied with Republicans amongst Hispanics in the general congressional ballot, according to a New York Times-Siena College poll out this week. Dems held a 47-point edge with Hispanics during the 2018 med- midterms. Oh, I mean, no. that is, I mean, to erase a 47-point edge. Yeah. I, I've never even, Wow. I've never, I mean, the, the premise of the story that the shift might be the b- biggest political story of our time, I think is right. Yeah. I mean, that's I, true. That I, is it. I, I have not seen anything like that, right? I mean, you get cycle to cycle. Typically, what happens is you get these sort of independently aligned, almost like a hand ringer caucus, where they're like they don't like somebody's tone or like something that ba- happens in this country that they don't like, and they shift from Republican and Democrat and back depending upon the environment, right? Mm-hmm. Predominantly suburban, to or, or kind of like the rule of thumb of like, oh well, you know, Republicans always show up to midterms. And then Democrats only show up to like presidential, but this is an absolute realignment. Yeah. It's a realignment. It's has nothing to do with like the typical historical way that midterms are settled. Like this could be 
an incredible game changer. What, what I thought was really interesting too was that the, um, you know the same poll found that Democrats held a 38 point lead among women with college degrees, up 10 points from 2010. It's what uh, Katie Pavlich said. It's yep, the D threes, the D threes. That's yeah. it. They're still they're up. They're 38 points amongst women with college degrees. Yeah, I mean it's basically. This is just like they're realigning themselves into a very, very small demographic. That's an incredibly dangerous demographic to align yourself with. We want deranged, woke people. That's going to be our base. That's who's going to control our messaging. I think this could work, guys. And then you see a 47-point edge just erased. Yeah. It's wild. I mean, Democratic strategists say the big party's biggest vulnerability is assuming that the priorities of the progressive activists are the same as working-class voters. I mean, yeah, you don't have to be a strategist to figure that out. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> Progressive activists continue to push to cut police budgets. <laughs> Communities of colors have borne the brunt of higher crime. I mean, this is the thing is like, I just don't understand. I mean, at some level, if you're a conservative in this country, you got to love it. Yeah. There was you know, this, I mean, these people are so bad. There was a prime example this past weekend. So, uh, Matt Whitlock, friend of the program, had this great tweet where uh, he pointed out there was uh, uh, over the weekend a shooting right where this guy was shooting at an apartment complex and uh oh my gosh police, i saw this yeah, yes police shot him stopped him this was in minnesota wasn't it I, I can't remember where it took place um but then like the following day you get a group that shows up to protest being like why did police kill this guy and the lady whose apartment it is runs out and she's like my kids were in there there's bullet holes all over the place why are you defending this guy and of course, progressives have set up like a GoFundMe for this guy. Oh yeah, going to bail him his, out. Yeah. yeah, well, to pay for his funeral. Well, because we'll police yeah. stopped him, they're like, right. "Oh my God, this guy was killed because of the color of his skin, not because he was shooting at an apartment full yeah. of children." So this, but is, that's the thing is they've they've taken these incredibly unpopular, untenable positions that no, like a, a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of voters only their like most left wing radical base supports, and the rest of the pie. Is, is regular Americans who yeah. are like, the price of everything is going up. It's getting more and more difficult just to get by. And only one party is speaking to me, and that's the Republican Party. Yeah, I think Democrats this midterm have a three-word slogan. You'll see it on bumper stickers across the country. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> that really is it. That really is it. Have a margarita. You know? it's, like, it, it, it's like, you know, the, 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 the Federal Reserve announces that, okay, you know, we got to keep pushing interest rates up because now you've got 9%, over 9% inflation happening in this country. Gas prices have doubled since Biden took over. And then the answer for, for Dems is, oh, this is about messaging. So everybody just put that yard sign out that, like, in this house we believe in science and all this bullshit that is not going to help them. This does not help voters all who are trying signaling. to get by. That's it, the problem. It's all virtue. It doesn't help anybody. But, you know, in a sign of the times, this is according to Joe Sanka, I think is a, a journalist at the Courier-Journal in Louisville, something that's actually, you know, that we're well aware of having spent an awful lot of time in Kentucky – but the Kentucky State Board of Ed- uh, Elections now shows that Republicans have passed Democrats in voter registration for the first time. <laughs> for the first time. Yeah, it's significant. Democrats have absolutely dominated registration for a century, but Republicans made incredible gains in the last three decades, coming to a head today. So, like, when I started working in Kentucky politics, um, 2008, it was still pretty oh, wow. tough pretty tough for Republicans to get elected statewide. The, the advantage there was at least six points 
Democrat, but people still voted Democrat that were registered Democrat, predominantly in Appalachia, out east, southeast part of the state, and then out west. And the west started turning more quickly, and it was largely cultural issues and things that were driven. And the economic piece of it started to catch up. And I think in 2014 election was the first one where Republicans were carrying counties that had never been counted uh, carried by a Republican before. Like they were 90-10 registration Democrat counties. They were voting. They were still staying registered Democrat. Right. But they were now voting Republican mm. for the first time. And so there was a lot of, you know, the precursor to the Trump years, you could see happening in real time in states like Kentucky where they have sort of a, a, a demographic that looked a lot like southeastern Ohio and western PA and a lot of places throughout this country that ultimately changed the direction of the country with President Trump and afterwards. And and now they've just changed the registration, which is the final piece, right? Well, well that's the thing. Is as go the hollers, so goes the nation. Yeah. It's on the hollers. Well, I mean, it certainly is in terms of in terms of like how you prioritize your politics. And we saw this realignment happen in the South 30 years ago. And it's Midwestern renaissance has happened significantly over the last 10 years. And now what we were talking about with middle class voters, working class voters across the country, it's not just entirely focused on your blue collar worker. Mm -hmm. It's basically anyone yeah. in this economy who's having a, a tough time. I don't, it doesn't matter if you're black, Hispanic, white, or anything else. It's like this is a real realignment that's happening everywhere. Basically, if you're not at that DNC fundraiser with Jill Biden, you're yeah. not happy. <laughs> yeah, with that's the way it. Things are going. I mean, that's that's it. That's it. And even those people seem like they're miserable <laughs> yeah, right? all the time. So, like, hey, we got to get rid of Joe. Still, <laughs> <laughs> great. We still hate you. Uh, so this came from CNN, and I always love these kind of things. Vulnerable Democrats sound alarm over inflation crisis. <laughs> Oh, a little late. Oh, oh you're concerned yeah. about I thought I thought we were saving money on our 4th of July meals. Yeah. <laughs> the, the cost of consumer goods has jumped to its highest point in four decades. And in some of the most important battleground races of the country, the situation is even more dire for Democrats who saw their constituents hit with the price increases that were higher than the national average. For example, in Phoenix, Arizona, a state where Democratic Senator Mark Kelly is facing one of the toughest re-elections this fall, the cost of goods rose a whopping 12.3% over Jeez, the last year. Wow. I mean, oh no. Oh no. I, I, think, I think it's a really good point to remember because you see these national numbers, inflation 9.1%. It's a huge number, huge, huge number. And I'm not trying to undersell that, how big that is. But I think what a lot of people out in these states will describe about the prices they're paying on a daily basis, it's a lot more than 9% over what they used to pay. Mm -hmm. And so I think Yeah, because that, that's averaged across everything, that's right? That's exactly right. I mean, gas prices, it's a lot more than 9%. Yeah, yeah. Eggs, milk, you right. know, all the staples that people people are buying on a daily basis are just the, the prices have gone up exponentially higher than just 9%. So I think they, they see this not these numbers and they're like, oh, you know what? It's, it's actually not capturing what we're actually dealing with out there. And Democrats, I'm just, I say that because Democrats are just so far behind the eight ball on all this. It's, I mean, they, they, they well, deserve to lose. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, what's so mystifying to me, and like you read story after story with this framing, that Democrats are just now freaking out about inflation. Like having, never mind the fact they caused it, right? They're now freaking about the, uh, about the political reality of it. At the same time, 
Schumer and the rest of them are still trying to do Build Back Brandon. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're still trying to like, do it. No, guys, we need more inflation. <laughs> but but, but, <laughs> it's, it's but like, there's no connect. Like, this is CNN, right? So it's a process story about how everybody's pissy and they're angry that inflation is costing their political advantage and everything else. Does it not occur to anybody that, like, I don't know, maybe the second paragraph should ask them how is it that that matches up with an agenda that makes all that shit worse? Right. Well, that's the thing is they're definitely living in the past. They're taking like the Bill Clinton approach of they think if you say I feel your pain, that's sufficient, but it absolutely is not. It's it, not. It's not. But, I mean, look, everything that they're trying to do right now makes it worse. Yes. And everybody's having a process conversation. Well, I don't know. Joe Manchin might sign off on it. I don't know if he's going to sign off at today, but we're going to work on it all week and we'll get to that. Okay, well, with somebody in the editorial department that deals with the politics on this shit, the, we're also concerned about inflation, should walk down the hall and talk to the editor who's dealing with Capitol Hill. Because the, there's probably a larger story to tell yeah, there. The, right. the, the problem is they're conflicted because they want a $1 trillion Green New Deal bill yeah. right now because yeah. that's the only thing that matters to them. Well, and I think there's a practicality, too, because I mean they're going to go and have to talk to voters here real quick in that August recess, and they, they want to be able to say something. Say they did something. And the other thing I love in this, this CNN piece is this uh, this line, the White House, which initially failed to recognize the pending inflationary crisis. I'm glad that they can admit that now. Yeah, thank God. Uh, dispatched official, officials to Capitol Hill last month in an attempt to arm Democrats with talking points on rising gas prices, inflation, and other economic issues. But Democrats who attended the messaging meeting said they <laughs> left feeling less than satisfied with one lawmaker saying the meeting turned, quote, spicy. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, because the answer... Jill, Jill, Jill brought the breakfast tacos. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that was what happened. There it is. That's what happened. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the inflation is just dominating absolutely everything. But, but I mean, they've done all of this to themselves. And, right. and that's the thing is, is also when you look at holding these people to account, I think Schumer is a prime example of this where he had a press conference... And he's asked about inflation. He's like, well, the reason for that is because we have to repeal the Trump tax cuts, which is <laughs> yeah. just so divorced from reality of how economics works. Totally. Right. And there's I, I remember I can't remember which there's one Bloomberg reporter who does like hard reporting on the economy who, who just tweets out. He's like, this makes no sense. Like it makes no like, what are you talking about? <laughs> this has nothing to do with inflation. And so, like, if this is the best that the White House can muster to offer for these, like, talking points, man, voters are going to hold these people accountable. Oh, it's going down. No question about that. Um, did you guys see the video? Apparently, this is from a little while ago, but it just started circulating, went viral this week about the drunk squirrel. I absolutely saw this. I mean, <laughs> this is, if you don't, it, it's The Sun posted it uh, on their Twitter account, and it's a drunk squirrel. Uh, after it was, it, it, I guess, eating fermented pears that were left out by yeah. accident. Yeah, sometimes you just leave fermented pears out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I had my fill. What did they the just squirrels get taste? Did they just like fall off the tree and then they ferment on the ground or something? Is that how this goes down? It looked like it was more planned than that. Huh? It was like it was like sitting on like not not a bird feeder like a bird bath type of. It looked deal, like they right? were doing it. it oh like, wow! It yeah. looked like somebody had something. It's like mind. squirrels. It's your time to enjoy. I had I had my fill and and the video like I highly encourage folks. This seek squirrel, this, out. this I mean, squirrel he, got fucked up. He's like he's like at the he's like at the he's like two thirty a.m. drunk right where he's he's like leaning back right. It was, it was a good drunk like he's not out fighting other squirrels or anything. He's not like an asshole drunk. He was just like leaning, trying to keep steady. Oh no! So he's at the right level, 
He's at the right level. Uh, the update was that the drunk squirrel is doing just fine. Yeah, I mean, he looked like he was doing great. He just needed to, he just needed to sleep like, it off. I aim for that level. <laughs> uh, but speaking of animals or people acting like animals, uh, it looks like we've got a new study. Studyfinds.org is talking about people on planes. Mm-hmm. And I know this is sort of a hobby horse for you, Smokey. Yeah, I mean, this is—I mean, everyone, everyone should know this is a fact. In a new poll of over a thousand Americans, forty-five percent think travelers are less self-aware and ruder now than they were before 2020. Self-evident, right? Yeah. yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I absolutely believe it. I mean, when you walk through the terminal, you see the line at Southwest. It's pretty damn clear. Right? <laughs> Animals have taken over the goddamn zoo. If you need proof that people aren't taking their fellow travelers into consideration, the poll finds a staggering 94% think it's acceptable to bring smelly food onto an airplane. No, don't do it. Please don't do it. (laughs) Wait, why? Why? Why would they do think smelly food? Like ninety four percent say yes. Like what the hell is wrong with? I'm you? thinking like if somebody comes on with like microwaved halibut. Yeah, yeah. It's like, like that plane is. You're, you're gonna have a a, a marshal that's you, gonna have to board. How do they get through security? Like you're just like I'm checking in. You know the fish I just microwaved <laughs> before I rolled up. I'm gonna crack this open on the plane like an enclosed tube with a limited amount of air. That's where I'm letting the halibut loose. <laughs> Nine and ten still say it's a no-no to take your shoes off. Thank God. Yeah. That's good. Thank God. But fifty-nine percent have no problem wearing their pajamas on a flight. I see. So I have an issue with this. Yeah, it's never appropriate. Yeah. I, so well, it depends. It depends. If you're traveling international and they provide you with pajamas, that's what they're. No. For. Well, if okay, international flights, you have if they provide you with a pajama. <laughs> I love how we're getting to that. If they provide you with a pajama, obviously yeah, it's to totally. be it's to be worn. Totally. You can also wear a smart-fitting uh, athletic leisure. Yeah, athleisure. Right? Something like that. If for an international flight. But you should not be wearing hoodies on a like a two-hour flight. That's well, it depends. Sometimes huh. I like like I roll up to the airport like NBA player style, you know? Like, you know, the matching. With the headphones hoodie. and shit? Yeah, totally. And the shades. I think that's an okay look. You're part of the problem. But if it's like a, if it's a serious flight, you know, if you have to like conduct business as soon as you hit the ground, of course you're like, See, it, it doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me. I, I think traveling is bad enough as it is. You should be able to wear whatever you're comfortable in. Really? Yeah. But yeah, then you see what these people show up. Th- see, that's also a slippery slope because then you end up with Southwest where it's just like, okay, <laughs> whoever shows up to the zoo first gets a chair. <laughs> like they have, did you guys know this? They, it's what? just like the way Southwest works. Apparently, is like you know this. <laughs> it's like if you roll up to the gate, right? They're like, okay, first come, first served, and it's just like a, a free for all in there. It's just like no rules. It's like Australia, but on a goddamn plane. There's rules. There's groups. There's like, You're no like in rules. the A boarding group. Southwest the B is like boarding. bare minimum. You just have to follow like federal laws. No machine guns on board. Other than that, you know, good luck everybody. <laughs> Uh, all right, so back into political news. We didn't want to miss this one from last week. Did you all see Biden fist-bumping MBS? Absolutely, total pariah move. So the guy goes to Saudi Arabia, and the precursor for all of this should be that during the entire campaign, Biden, I think probably to curry favor with like the Washington Post and the folks who basically had a two-year campaign over the Khashoggi killing and were trying to say essentially that Trump was somehow 
at fault for some of this, which is completely absurd and, argument. And to an extent, that that approach worked because I went back and looked at the Washington Post endorsing Joe Biden, saying that like unlike President Trump, Joe Biden will hold MBS accountable for the murder of <laughs> wow, yeah. yeah, right, right in their endorsement, it says that misplaced confidence. Totally. So he had this extremely caustic line of attack on Saudi Arabia. And all of a sudden, he decides to shut down our domestic energy production. We find ourselves into some problems. Now he's fist bumping MBS in Saudi Arabia. And and, I mean, this situation could not be, I mean, it's so self-caused. Like you said, he cripples American energy industry, goes over to beg for oil, and is like, I will fist bump MBS. He's like, everything I said doesn't matter because I've created this immense problem where gas prices are out of control because I've killed my country's energy production. So I might as well go overseas and beg other people for oil. Here's the other thing. Did you guys watch the video? Yeah. He shot out of the back of that limo like a rocket. Yeah. Like I've never seen him have that much energy, that much spring in his step at the White House, but he stepped out of there and just popped him. I mean, like he- He was like, you got to get me out of this pickle, buddy. What I just don't understand is- then immediately there's this race to sort of like excuse him for it. And there's no better one than Max Boot. Oh, this, I loved it. This was really bad. Max Boot is just the, I mean, this guy is a, a gift. I, I, he's gotten into Ruben-like territory. I mean, he, it's, it's a competition over there. Who, who, can, who can be the most shameless? Really? So, all right, he writes this piece, cut Biden some slack U.S. presidents have to deal with dictators. And the choice <laughs> of the word cut <laughs> when dealing with the MBS situation. Yeah, don't hand him a bone saw. He was like, listen, you bone saw a couple of my coworkers. Or one coworker, in theory. So, hey. But, but dude, this is the same dude who like poured gallons of ink out castigating Trump for dealing with anyone oh, yeah. that wasn't essentially a NATO uh, I mean, ally. Twitter was incredible with people pulling up the like old Max Boot tweets and articles of him being like, how dare Trump be friends with MBS? <laughs> And then right after, like, the fist bump, he's like, yeah, cut Biden some slack, you know? <laughs> Sometimes you got to beg for oil. I mean, that's what was going on here, which, to cut through all of it, I mean, I'm sure he's not wild about reneging on all of his campaign promises and going and fist bumping and everything else. Like, I, I, I'm sure that's not his favorite thing. But it's as a result of him crippling domestic energy supply and now we're relying on the people and, again. And, and it's important to point out what I call the impotent rage of the Washington Post, where their CEO puts out the statement saying, the fist bump between President Biden and Mohammed bin Salman was worse than a handshake. It was shameful. It projected a level of intimacy and comfort that delivers to MBS the unwarranted redemption he has been desperately seeking. And it's like, okay, dude, like you already endorsed him. <laughs> you already endorsed him. And now Max Boots out there being like, this is okay. Like he got Biden. Biden played you clowns. Like right. you all are now completely complicit with that situation. <laughs> like how the hell are you out here putting out statements? Like you've got no sort of a moral high ground. But the best kicker to all of this is Saudi Arabia puts out there like, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna give them more oil. I mean, that was the takeaway. <laughs> it was like, come here, kiss the ring, get the fuck out. I mean, that's basically <laughs> what happened. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, I'm, the United just... States president goes over there. Begging for oil because he's crippled his own country's energy infrastructure. Begging for oil. And they're like, fuck off. Get right back on that plane, buddy. Joe, Thanks for kissing the ring. Joe Biden, remember when he um, he was sworn in, said America is back? 
Yeah. yeah. This is what America back looks like yeah. in Joe Biden's America. Yeah, well That's said. Point. Well said. Do you guys want a horny segment to cap this thing off? Yeah. Oh I know how much you love these things. Wait, you, children you, listening. You, you didn't manage to delete this one? <laughs> it clearly didn't get to this. He didn't get down far enough, so I want to read it before he deletes <laughs> it. Uh, from the New York Post, entitled, No Sex in the City, Public Shagging Going Extinct in New York City. The th- let me just read this. The thrill is gone. Cops citywide issued two public lewdness summonses uh, to people knocking boots in public parts in 2020, according to the most recent NYPD stats. The number is a far cry from the shocking 432 tickets police wrote for the body offense in 2007, and even seven years later when 115 people were caught canoodling al fresco, the stats show. Great writing, by the way. The best writing in the New York Post. (laughs) It's just great writing. By 2018, the number uh, of folks cited for hooking up in a park, uh, a summons that carries a $150 fine and only issued if a cop witnesses the act, tumbled to eight. None were issued in 2019. Uh, NYPD has not yet released numbers for 2021. So wait, wait, wait. I'm not sure that they've got this right. Like they, what they're saying is all these stats are evidence of nobody banging outside. I don't spend a lot of time in here. You tell me. Are, is it not happening or is it like just not being enforced? Well, I, I'd say that the, the change in New York City is because now if you're out in public, you just want to get what you have to get accomplished and run home or else you're going to get stabbed by a homeless person <laughs> on heroin. Fair, fair <laughs> it's point. like if you're in the park, you know, it's not like a romantic session when there's like a bunch of homeless people shooting heroin with knives. Like it's not really setting the mood anymore. <laughs> you know? No, it makes perfect sense. Actually, I'm glad you've explained it. Like, I, I mean, think- I, I see a chart of like hobo stabbings. I bet it's directly inverse <laughs> to like public hookup tickets. Well, here's, <laughs> so, but here's a takeaway that I think I think what you said makes more sense. What they're saying is that a study by Rutgers University in 2021 found that millennials and Gen Z have less casual sex on average than previous generations, opting instead to play video games and scroll on their phones. I love how they threw that in at the end. I know. It's just like an extra. Just call him a dork. <laughs> <laughs> you dorks never get laid. This, stu- this study itself wasn't enough. They yeah. had to throw in the full Dungeons and Dragons blast on them. Oh, it's so good. So, I mean, I don't know if I buy that or not. I don't. I mean, is that a thing? I'm 100 percent attributed to crime. I mean, like that's the thing is, it's honestly, it's pretty depressing now. Every time you go to New York. And you walk around, you're like, every restaurant I used to love is closed. Everywhere now is filthy. Like beyond when, you know, pre-pandemic times when people would visit and they'd be like, oh, New York's filthy. It's like, yeah, to an extent, but you kind of get over it. But now it's like a whole new level, whole new level of awful. You know, the the homeless problem is out of control. And a lot of these homeless people who who progressives think the more compassionate route is, well, you know, let them shoot heroin out. Well, they also provided hotels for the homeless, too, yeah. so maybe that's taking care yeah, of part and of the problem. clean needles, they think that's helpful, but, like, that's the story. It's, it, it's just like, I mean, it, you, it's hard to set the mood when you're worried about getting stabbed. Oh, God, very, very well said. <laughs> All right, well, with that uh, beautiful entryway, I'm sure that our next guest will be welcomed uh, with full fanfare. I'm very excited about it. Jim Banks. I want to welcome to the program somebody I've actually been interested in meeting for quite some time, and he in studio nonetheless, and brought just an absolute rash of goodies for the fellas. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Banks. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. 
This it's is great. It's great to be on a podcast that people actually listen to. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife listens to your podcast. I have a podcast too, but she says yours is the only one that she listens to. <laughs> <laughs> my wife has a better chance of listening to yours than mine, but I think maybe that's a marriage thing. Could be. <laughs> they hear, hear too much of somebody's voice. You don't want to, you know. Fair enough. <laughs> um, listen, let's talk about these goods that you brought us. This is crazy. We've got beer, whiskey, chocolate, hats. A little bit of all, of it all. Craft beer from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Mad Anthony, the Auburn Lager. They used to call it Old Woody's Pale Ale. They changed the name to the Auburn Lager, which is a town in the district. We have chocolate from DeBrand's Chocolate. They make all of the chocolate, by the way, for all of Trump hotels. Oh, really? Out wow. of Fort Wayne, Indiana. So you got those in the shape of race cars. I mean, what's more Hoosier yeah, than exactly. race cars and craft beer? We brush a little bit of craft whiskey from mm. Three Three Rivers Distilling in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This is new to our state craft distilling. Michigan's about the forefront of it. Indiana's catching up. Yeah, it sounds and, like uh, it. We have a lot of a lot of that uh, in our area as well. But most importantly, I brought you baseball hats. I, yeah, I mean, and we love baseball hats here on the program. The logo The Fort is Wayne Tin Caps, the best logo in all of professional sports. It's an ode to Johnny Appleseed, who's, okay. who's buried in Fort Wayne, Indiana. A is he of, really? A couple of towns in Ohio claim him as well, but we've got the goods on him in Fort Wayne. <laughs> wow. You, you actually have his him? He's oh, buried there? Yes, he's Well, he's that buried, pretty much settles it, doesn't it? Uh, you would think. <laughs> Um, so a couple of a couple of small towns in Ohio. I don't, know, I don't know how they get away with it. It seems easily provable. But the great thing about the logo is when it came out, you know, it's the shape of a of an apple, but he's wearing a pot on the top of his head. So there was a bit of a local controversy about the Fort Wayne potheads. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, think, I think we recovered, and it really is a great it's a great logo. So we put. We put our name on it. Makes for great uh, campaign swag, and I thought those, I'd bring that along. For oh you. man, it's fantastic! Representing Indiana three, and plus, I gotta think, Dunk said it's nice to have somebody representing Indiana finally in here for you. Yeah, finally, I get a little <laughs> bit of you know defense on my position that Indiana's a great <laughs> state. I don't know if you you know this, but my friends here. Um, well, I don't know if we could loop me into this. This is pretty much a smug. I think you I, egg him on. Do yeah. I? You egg him on. Does. Well, I like you to fight, so that's part of it. <laughs> he, encourages, he encourages the Indiana slander. But, I mean, listen, that's more localized to Indianapolis. I mean, clearly, Indiana's full of fine beer, whiskey, and chocolate. So, so I'm sm- not against that at smug, all. Smug said he, he, he stopped for gas um, <laughs> around the highway once, and he's decided to slander all of I think Indianapolis. It's a, it's a fair way to assess a city. You stop for gas, and, and if you're like, wow, it's just it was just an endless field of asphalt. It's just, nothing it's as just far as outrageous. I can see. <laughs> we'll come back. We'll, we'll prove you. We'll prove you wrong if you come back. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I don't think they're going to we'll get them. outside of Indianapolis. <laughs> they could get. Uh, you might not be totally safe after all you've said about Indiana. <laughs> I always remain, you know, true to the cause. I'm a fan of, of the state of Indiana. Great people. Just Indianapolis didn't do it for me. It's unbelievable. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we haven't had you on before, but we've been huge fans of your work. Um, we followed it closely. Uh, you moved up the ladder pretty fast here. Mm. Uh, you, I mean, you're sort of driving trains on a lot of the messaging coming out of the Republican conference. One of the things that I find so fascinating, I think most people would have to be an idiot not to observe this happening, but you really put fine points to the argument that the Republican Party is basically the only thing in politics that are representing working class Americans. No doubt about it. Um, and my, my story is a good example of 
where the party has been, where it's going. I, my dad uh, is retired from a factory in Fort Wayne. He made axles all of his life. Hated politics, hated politicians. I remember he was excited about Perot. And what was that, 90, yeah, 90, 92? 92. 92. Mm-hmm. We had the Perot bumper sticker on the truck. It was embarrassing. <laughs> but um, then, he, then fast forward, and he was excited in 2016, not about me, about Donald Trump coming down the escalator. Those are the, the two politicians that he got most excited about in his life. He's in the cap. I, I took him on a dome, t- dome tour at the Capitol just a little bit ago huh. today. Um, he, he, he is your quintessential blue collar, working class voter who for most of his life would have called himself a Democrat. His dad yeah. was a coal miner mm-hmm. in Kentucky. The Banks family were, were true hillbillies that moved to Indiana. He was one of 10 uh, boys and girls and, and uh, spent his life on the factory floor. My mom is a, is a, was a cook in a nursing home uh, huh. all, of, all of her working life um, as well. So we were a, we were a, a working class family. My dad, um, union man through and through. And um, it wasn't until Trump took over the Republican Party that he identified himself as a Republican. He tells me all the time he's embarrassed that he ever called himself a, Dem- a Democrat for much of his life. And as I wrestled with that thought after Trump left office, um, you know, we were we were in the wilderness after the 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 the, the, the November 2020 election in the minority in the House. We lost the lost the Senate. I, I, I was wrestling with this thought. Trump, if Trump made us the party of the working class again for the first time since Reagan was in the White House, how do we keep it that way? Mm-hmm. How do we keep my dad as a part of the coalition of voters that we need to win back the majority, win back the White House in 2024? So that was the, that was the whole point of the, the working class memo. And I don't know that McCarthy or any other Republicans in the House disagreed with the thought but we weren't talking about it. Mm-hmm. We And what Republicans do such a poor job of is going home and just gathering people together who work hourly wage jobs and getting them in a room mm. te- from from teachers to plumbers to mechanics to factory workers, um, police officers, get them in a room and talk to them and ask them about what matters most to them. We don't do a very good job of that. But if mm. we do that, we can keep those voters um, at a time when we really need them. There was only one Republican who disagreed vocally with my memo, and she's part of the reason that I wrote it. It was Liz Cheney. <laughs> I was about to say. She called me a neo-Marxist. <laughs> Wait, how, um, how did, <laughs> I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. How do we it. square that circle? But to, but the point the point being that my if we go back to an era where Liz Cheney's point of view and her, her way of of leading the Republican Party is is the norm, we lose my dad. It's okay? like the my Chamber of Commerce Republican. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And you know, I mean, I have the same story where my mother, lifelong Democrat, worked for uh, Democrats, and then Trump made her Republican. She became right in the Republican primary. She became a Trump supporter, voted for Trump, and I think you 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 have it exactly right. For so long, I'd say, you know, our party was kind of beholden this kind of like a, a Paul Ryan idea of, oh, well, I guess the answer to any problem someone could have is just give a corporation a tax cut. And once we we became more focused on what is it that Americans are actually concerned with, what are what are the kitchen table items that they worry about day in day out we start winning yeah so i wrote the memo a year and a half ago to that very point and um we now you know fast forward to last week now fox news did a did a poll they um uh, i think it was on the on the 14th headline in uh, foxnews.com polls show democrats becoming party of elites as working class minorities shift toward republicans yeah and so the polling bears it out 
and but that's not just because Republicans. Probably in a bigger way, it's because Democrats are so have so divorced themselves from from working class voters. They 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 no longer they don't even they don't even attempt to represent them anymore. Mm-hmm. So they how don't can even they... know how. I mean, the, the feedback loop within progressive circles right now is hilarious. Which I mean, I, what they talk about is I, stuff that nobody is concerned about. And I think exactly. it was exacerbated by the pandemic. Yeah, you know, the COVID I agree. lockdowns and whatnot for working class people who, you know, they don't have a choice. They got to go out and earn a living, right? And it's like somebody's got to bring you that DoorDash, you yep. know, Stephanie Rule. Yeah, who <laughs> they're scared, like well, scared to go out her front door. Farms don't exist, you know. Truckers don't exist. The, the, the Uber Eats just right. rise at the door. Right. Gas prices twice as high as what yeah. they were uh, the day that Joe Biden took office, but they can't. They can't empathize with that factory worker in Fort Wayne, Indiana, because they don't. They can't relate, and that—that's—that's that's the political, the paradigm shift in American politics makes us different today than just six years ago, where where we get that, and if we do better at getting it, and go out and t- go out and talk to these voters in a more effective way, we're not gonna we're not going to just win the majority. We're going to have it for a long time to come. Yeah, I don't think there's any question about that. But you see it bear out now as we get into election season. I mean, I, look, everybody thinks that House Republicans are going to have a pretty good day in November. How do you see that? Does that mesh up with what you're seeing with working class voters? Yeah, it really does. I mean, the 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 link between if you look at the all the polling of Latino voters are more Republican than they have ever been before, right? right. I mean, yeah. I don't have the statistic in front of me, but it's it is substantial. We have a you know, a, a wide share of Latino voters who are voting in in places we've never voted Republican, right? I mean, we saw the Flores yeah. contest in, yes. in Texas. We've got. You know, you keep an eye on Nevada and other places with large Hispanic communities that have traditionally voted Democrat, now beginning to become Republican, I think, to your point. African-American voters yeah. are voting Republican more than they ever have before. So what's the big link? The link isn't the color of their skin. It's that these are working class voters, mm-hmm. and they've come our way because they recognize that we represent them far better than the than the Democrats have, who they've elected in the past, who they realize they this is what they get out of it. Mm-hmm. Higher gas prices, inflation, and just a complete disconnect from the issues that they deal with on a day-to-day basis, uh, making making a living, putting food on the table. So rather than that, the focus on a hyper focus on the January 6th right. issues, anything to distract from what they're dealing with is what the Democrats are going to do. So we're in a great spot. We're going to win back the House majority. I have a good feeling we're going to win back the Senate majority too, but we have to stay focused on representing those voters and divorce ourselves from those interests that we used to listen to in a different era, um, the, that pander to multinational corporations, corporate America, the U.S. Chamber that want to sell out American workers for their Chinese interests. So that, too, is, was a big part of the, the working class memo is the, the the big the big issue a, a voter like my dad intuitively knows that his the the good job that he used to have has been uh, sold out to China, mm-hmm. but he also understands that when he goes to and voters like my dad they got this when Trump started talking about being tough on China he was the first Republican that he'd ever heard talk that, that way. So then for four years of being tough on China now, now to backtrack I mean the whiplash of that administration of this administration being so Yikes. soft on China yeah. and, talking, and flirting with repealing tariffs and issues like that it's not just their job and the good wage that these workers used to have that they know have been sold out to China but they know when they go to Walmart and buy an appliance that's made in China it's going to break 
in three or four years versus something that was made in America that would have lasted twice as long. So this is an intuitive issue that working class voters don't need a college degree to understand that China is the is our our biggest enemy, the biggest existential threat to America. My dad, my dad gets that with a high school degree and 30 years of working on a factory floor. Yeah, it's just observation of life at, at large, right? How much do you think of this? I mean, look, we all focus rightly on the economy and what that's done to sort of open up this argument to middle class voters. I think a lot of people can make the argument immigration, immigration policies had a big effect, particularly on Hispanic voters, which is counterintuitive to the narrative that we've been sold for 30 years about Hispanics in this country. Crime is another one. I mean, the, the communities that get hit the hardest by not enforcing the law are the ones that frankly are black and brown and do have underprivileged access to things like education. Mm-hmm. Right. So so it feels like we're at this moment in time where it's not just sort of the economic argument. The Republicans have, you know, successful with some success made over the last thirty years, but it's everything. Yeah. If you if you love America and wave the American flag on your front porch, you're probably a Republican. Isn't that crazy to think about? And I think you know, most most voters where I come from, they, they get that. Totally. So it, it's about protecting our American way of life. And if Republicans stick with that versus those who want to tear down our country and change it, like the left is trying to do on a, on a daily basis, then we're on the right. We're on the right side. We're on the side of of, of these voters who aren't, aren't always with us, who are with us today. Let's keep them there because that's a powerful um, that's a powerful recipe for a long time to come. So, in looking at, at working class voters, is there anything that surprised you, you know, and what and what motivated them and the issues that they cared about that you weren't expecting? Yeah, I mean, I remember sort of growing up um, in the '90s. You know, the it was always about the, you know guns and babies that would attract union workers whose union bosses would tell them to vote Democrat, but a lot of those voters would vote for the Second Amendment for a Republican. Right. Mm-hmm. But I think today it's there's so many more layers on top. Like I said, the the China issue, I think is the is the big issue. But um, you know, I, I don't know that I'm. I'm not surprised by that, but I'm surprised it took Republicans so long to figure yeah. it out. So <laughs> yeah. go back to right. you talk about the you talk about the border too. I mean, this is a, another great example of the illegal immigration and and uh, the threat to American jobs. To uh, this is another big issue that working class voters care about. Go back to go back to the 2012 Republican Party. Romney loses to Obama. By the way, Wall Street supported Romney over Obama by a margin of three to one. Compare that to Trump versus Biden, and it was a four to one flip. So, mm-hmm. Trump or uh, uh, Biden picked up donations out of Wall Street four times as much as as uh, what Trump did. So, that's an important takeaway too. But go back to the 2012 Republican Party. Remember, we lost and we lost badly. And what did the RNC do? They did they did they conducted an autopsy. Yeah. On the on that big uh, election loss, and what was the conclusion of the autopsy? Pass amnesty. Pass amnesty. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like Trump. Trump ran and did everything that he could to prove that. Right. It was like he read that uh, that autopsy and tried to prove it wrong, and he did, right? Because those Latino voters are overwhelmingly with us today, in spite of our party being stronger on borders and tougher on illegal immigration than we ever, ever have been before. So those are big takeaways that you can almost right, – right now, we our party gets it, and, and by and large, most members, most Republican members in the House get it, but we can't forget it. Right, and that—that's—that's that's what I'm. I continue to be to continue to be concerned about is that we will get 
a few years away from this and our members of our party will forget and we'll go back to being the Liz Cheney party of pandering to Wall Street and multinational corporate interests and we'll lose those voters again if we do. What I, what I like most about what how you've handled this is it's it's very much in line with our view that you don't take the bait. Focus on what hap- what matters to voters. Focus on all of these issues that people are talking about. Don't let the national media dictate what it is that you can engage upon, right? And I, what I took away from your memo and your subsequent talking about this for the last year and a half is get this bullshit out of here. I'm focused on what voters actually care about. And it seems like most Republicans have sort of gotten on on the same page with that. Yeah, I think so. I chair the Republican Study Committee, which has been around for almost 50 years. We're a caucus within the House of 160 members. And we've taken the approach of understanding that this is a different moment in American politics, but a different moment for the Republican Party. So we've, we've been putting out memos on, on not just on, on this front, but well over a year ago, we were predicting that inflation would be a major election yeah. issue uh, this November. So telling members to go out and talk about it and and give and frame it in a way where people get it. I don't think we have to. We don't have to do that anymore because voters, by and large, they do get it. They see it. They feel it. But back then, we were talking about inflation of three, four, five percent, and now we're yeah. you know, nine point one percent. So ga- gas prices, but also the you know you talk about the. The, the, the importance of the cultural issues, too. I mean, we told members a year and a half ago to lean into the culture war, mm-hmm. go out and talk about these issues. This, this, these issues aren't hard to talk about. Critical race theory, anti-Americanism, the push, pushing radical gender theories in sc- schools on our kids that are seven, Great eight, school nine kids. years old. Great yeah. school kids. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is people, our, our voters care about it. Uh, voters across the board care about it. We pick up, we bring Democrats to our side when we go out and fight these fights. So that's what we've retailored. The The RSC was always sort of a, for a long time, for too long, it was too, it was a quiet group on Capitol Hill that put out legislative bulletins to our members. But we're trying to get out ahead and frame these issues in a way that will help us not just win back the majority, but re- recenter our party where it needs to be for a long time to come. A couple things. So you touched on China economically, and you also talked about your work on committees. You're also a member of the House Armed Services Committee. And I wanted you to uh, tell us a little bit about what work you think needs to go into keeping America safe from China's aggressions in that sense, specifically like in cyber. Um, you think about things like TikTok, which is becoming an issue that I think needs to be more at the forefront. Totally. So a couple of years ago, I co-chaired something called the Future Defense Task Force with a Democrat uh, from Boston um, named Seth Moulton. I think he ran for president at one point, so maybe a few people have heard of him. But, um, and I like Seth. We, we work... We worked closely on this effort, and then COVID came and sort of crashed it. But what the big takeaway that I that I took from that is the the complexity of how China approaches the future of warfare is something that's beyond the beyond the comprehension of what most Americans can grasp. When you consider that anyone who has taken a twenty three andme or Ancestry dot com um, biometrics test, right? What do you call that? Mm-hmm. Um, you send it back to these companies. They send it overseas to China to be read, for that data to be read by a company there who they outsource it to. The company happens to be owned by the Chinese Communist Party. Jeez. Mm. So they're collecting your biometrics. When you talk about TikTok, they're collecting your personal data. Um, we, we told, uh, under Trump, we told the Pentagon we, that, that our troops could no longer use these uh, Ancestry.com type tests because 
in the future of warfare, that kind of data when it comes to oh yeah when it comes to biological warfare. I mean, that kind of data becomes very useful to our biggest enemy. When I can't they, I can't imagine destroy. China releasing some kind of like a biological <laughs> agent that would hurt people. <laughs> Not at all. Something right. like a, like a coronavirus. <laughs> 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 right. So the multi the multi layered approach to how they're store, storing our data, you know, the, uh, when I first got to Congress, um, there were a few of us that were talking about um, some of these issues that you know from on the cyber front. Um, uh, what's what's their big telecom company? I'm forgetting. Tencent. The, not Tencent. The the Huawei. 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 So that that was a big issue for you know three or four years ago, but then you then you fast forward to. Uh, in China, they have something called the Thousand Talents Program, hmm. and the Thousand Talents Program takes Chinese nationals and they place them in strategic places around the world, especially in America, where they are in decision-making positions where they can help the motherland. If you go read like the, if, you go, if you go read the like the oath that they take when they're part of the when they become sworn in to the Thousand Talents Program, they talk about supporting the motherland. So. We found out that the chief investment officer of the nation's largest um, state pension program, CalPERS, mm-hmm. in California, was a guy named Yubin Mang. Yubin Mang, turns out, was a member, was a part of the Thousand Talents no program. No kidding. And he gets placed, he becomes a chief investment officer of the, of the largest state pension program, and he's steering state investment dollars to Chinese Communist Party-owned companies in shipbuilding, Sophisticated technologies, uh, even um, the the uh, surveillance oh, yeah, uh, company the, that they use to for the Uyghurs round up the Uyghurs yeah. and put them in a detention camp. So you have Chinese retirees who, because of this guy, are investing in our biggest adversaries' military national security operation that they're, that they're going to use against us. So you under, when you start understanding all of the layers and the approaches that they take and how little we do about it. And now we have an administration that doesn't just turn a blind eye to them. I mean, for me, there are many reasons to believe that This administration is using TikTok. Yes. It's I mean, unbelievable. Think about that. The last administration didn't. The last administration was the first administration of our lifetime that took the threat seriously. Mm-hmm. They could, in, in many ways, they could have done a lot more. But the, again, the whiplash to back to where we are today should be something that's, that should keep every American awake at night. Totally. Well, so <clears throat> let me ask you this. God willing, we're able to get a majority back. You'll have oversight capability with this administration for what we all hope is the last two years. I can't imagine Joe Biden makes it beyond that for a whole host of reasons. But how can you keep this Republican Party together to work as a team under that? Because we know, you know, the biggest challenge in being a majority when you've got an administration of the other party is to try to keep your folks together and try to have a united voice and not sort of splinter off. What's your confidence level in our ability to do that, you think, ne- next year? <laughs> well, I, we have to do We don't have a choice. Yeah, I mean, you just really so, don't. And, and what it comes back to is vision, right? And and being able to rally our members around a vision. I happen to believe that McCarthy's going to be the best speaker that we've had in, in a really long time because I think he can do that. I think he can rally us around an agenda and a vision and, and push it forward. And that vision isn't just advancing the Trump-era policies again that if you go back and read the working class memo that I wrote a year and a half ago the conclusion of it is that our, if our party um, censors itself in a in the in the Trump policies it's not it's not about uh, it's not about the, the 
the name Jim Banks or Donald Trump or anybody's name that's going to move us uh, and rally us around that agenda. It's about the agenda yeah, itself, that's right. what we stand for. That's and, the biggest challenge, too. And that 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 Trump-era agenda is what attracts working-class voters. So the next two years are critical because if we don't do that and turn off these voters, there's no way we win the White House in 2024. I mean, totally. I, I, we, we have to keep these voters in our coalition. So it's going to take Leader McCarthy, uh, other leaders that we have in our party to rally us around that agenda and cast a vision to do so. And and I'm at this point, I'm fairly optimistic that we can do that. I mean, I, I want to be one of those leaders coming out of being chairman of the Republican study committee. We've tried to, we've tried to write the, the playbook and advance the advance of a, a vision with what we're doing at RSC, um, a, a roadmap, uh, if you will, uh, that that could be very useful yeah. in that moment. Well, it's look, it's incredibly useful. It's very important. I should say the the oversight part of it, account, the yeah. accountability uh, of of this administration, what the Democrats try to do to our country, is like it, that, we have to think about that as fifty percent or more of it. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely. And I, when I go home, my voters aren't they're not necessarily excited about Republicans winning the majority because they're very skeptical of us for good reason. They, but they they demand action. They demand us to to fight back. And That's demand, right. And demand us to use our oversight power to do to this administration what no one's ever done before. To hold them accountable for what they've done. Yeah. And l- let me ask you about that. Just last question before we get into the end of uh, of our interview. You were in Afghanistan. I got to imagine a big piece of the oversight function is actually getting back to what happened there. Because I don't feel, personally, I don't feel like we ever really got to the bottom of the true motivations, which I think are all entirely political. Mm-hmm. But then the lack of planning and the willful ignorance of anybody that had any idea of what we were doing when we pulled out of there and and the disaster and losing the Marines that we did. Yeah, it's it's uh, shameful. And it, to this day, it makes me sick to my stomach. I, I just, I served there recently. I was there in 2014 and 15. And I came back and that's when I ran for Congress. To this to this point, there has never been a uh, an investigation, yeah. uh, oversight hearing. In fact, when Democrats took control, they they eliminated the oversight and investigation subcommittee on the Armed Services Committee. <laughs> so, uh, the, the 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 there's been no accountability for it. The tough questions have never been answered. And on day one, we need to make this a prime mission of the Armed Services Committee because if we don't hold them accountable, you're you're teaching a whole generation of military leaders that you can get away with that. It's exactly right. And when it comes to, you know, I have a lot of criticism of General Milley, but the the biggest one is that he is he is uh, training all of the flag officers underneath him who who one of one or two of them one day will have his job that you can you can become a political general and you can get away with making political decisions and never be held accountable for it. Okay. So we have we have to hold them accountable. Otherwise, we're going to see this type of uh, poor leadership for a long time to come. Well, listen, that's music to our ears for sure. We've been talking about this one for a long time. Top of the list in terms of what I'm concerned about. Although it's hard to even keep a list at this point. Yeah, a long right. list. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. These guys are a disaster. All right, I got three big questions that we asked everybody here. And this is, you know, these are important things here, Mr. Banks. Um, if you can plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Obviously, I, I practice it a lot. Um, <laughs> um, the art, the art of eating a meal. Yeah, <laughs> and never knowing if it's going to be your last meal, so you better go all out. Um, 
My my favorite restaurant is right across the street from the the ballpark in downtown Fort Wayne, where the Ten Caps uh, play. <laughs> it and it's a fast food gyro restaurant, King Gyros. They have these sloppy gyro sandwiches, and that, nice. there's no doubt that that's where I would go. That's it. Yeah, you're gonna go pick that out. Yeah, I love maybe, that. Maybe have two of them. Wow. <laughs> well, I mean, you've got to slide they're it giant. sideways. They're heavy and giant. You get some dessert in there. Like, what do they have there? Man, Maybe a baklava. I, they might. But, yeah, the <laughs> just focused I'm just on the saying it's your last one. The... Focused on the euro. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Um, if you never got into public service, because you've, you've sort of recently been in the house, but you've had a, almost a lifetime of public service. I know you were a small businessman and everything before that, but you've been doing this and working for people for, for a while. If you never had that at all, if you just could say, blue sky, here's like 15 years of my life that I could do anything I want with, really blue sky, what would it be? Uh, well, the best, best job I ever had, I worked for a family that had a very large uh, commercial construction company in Fort Wayne, they, and they built big buildings. So and I, I did business development for them for five years before I got elected to the state house. and. And after, um, and I know nothing about construction. And that's the funny part of it. <laughs> but I love the industry because it was all re- it was all relational. And right. um, if and I, I from time to time I do think about what I would do if I weren't in politics. Um, <laughs> I got to. But imagine. it would be to start a it would be to start a business start a business smart start a small business grow it make money and have something to pass on to the kids. It sounds like watching something get built is is something of a uh, yeah, priority a- absolutely. for you. Yeah. So, so smug, smug's knock is that there's only two-story buildings in, in, in Indianapolis. 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 So <laughs> this is confirmation. <laughs> this is confirmation that there are large buildings in Indiana. Yeah, yes. for Congress, I guess you could build them. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> you got to come to Fort Wayne. Yeah. We'll treat you better in Fort Wayne. Oh, that's good. All right, we might have to take him up on that, Smug. Absolutely. Plus, I'm just going to drive you to the middle of Indianapolis <laughs> and leave you there. <laughs> All right, so our last question is the hardest one, and our view is that people are generally motivated by one of two things, thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Thrill of victory people are always the sort of sunny optimist charging up the hill. The agony of defeat people are somebody who's ever had any accomplishment. It lasts for like two seconds. They enjoy it for like a moment. But every setback they've ever had in life lasts a lifetime. They work to try to overcome it, and that's their primary motivation. Mr. Banks, where do you find yourself? I have no idea. My wife would probably answer this better or different than I would, <laughs> but I'm not afraid of losing. So I, I suppose um, the thrill of victory is what is motivating to me. I've never, I've never been afraid of just putting it all out there. I mean, when you run for office, you have to recognize that you might lose and not be afraid of it and go plow through and to and and to win. So I think that's how I would answer it. But. I, my, I don't know if my staff would call me a sunny optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I know my wife wanted. So. You think there might be some dissent in that? But I need to study that one a little bit further, but that's I, I'm not afraid to lose. Yeah, yeah. It's basically about how much losing bothers you versus winning has you enjoy something, right? So, like, if you think about your life and the biggest victories you've ever had, did you enjoy them more than you do? lamented each setback and that's kind of that's kind of how you i mean it's very tough it's that's why it's one of our three it's the hardest (laughs) question there is yeah i'll stick with my answer yeah sunny optimist there he is (laughs) (laughs) well listen for our listeners who want to help you out either on the campaign side or on the official side and following what you guys are doing where do they find you well i mean first 
and foremost, I'm very proud of what we've done at Republican Study Committee. So find us at Republican Study on Twitter. And we throw lots of flames there. And on my, <laughs> uh, find me on my personal Twitter page too, at Rep Jim Banks um, on the official side. And then on, on the campaign side, jimbanks.us is our website. You can find us there too. Excellent. Excellent. Well, listen, we are really looking forward to all the good work that you're not only doing and will continue to do for the rest of the cycle, but really most importantly next year. And and you get the opportunity to put these ideas into action. So thank you for coming over. Thanks for all this stuff too. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> not too much. <laughs> not, not Great too to be much. with you. It's really an honor to be with you. Thank uh, you very much. Appreciate it. Congressman so Jim much. Banks. Uh, he's a really smart guy. I, I love that there's somebody who's actually personally grounded into the messaging that I think probably all of us believe is the future of the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, he's really got his eye on the ball. I can't wait to see uh, what he can do with, uh, with a, you know, some oversight authority in a majority. Right? Yeah. But it seems like almost everybody we've had on subscribes to this general framework. Like yeah. people's life experiences and their constituency obviously shape that in different ways. And, and it you know, how people make a living in their districts certainly shape things in a different way. But that basic focus on the American working class seems to be pretty predominant. I mean, I, I can't think of anybody we've had on the program who hasn't sung those notes. Can you? No. It's refreshing. It's right. great to see that. It is. Great to see that. It is. And Banks seems to be a real leader in that. He's a great dude. Absolutely gets it. Brought us, brought us some great stuff, too. <laughs> gotta love it. And uh, you gotta love the episode. You know, I was 100% correct. Babe Ruthed it. This <laughs> was an banger. absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen. Uh, and remember, folks, the primary to elect Matthew Foldy is today. Get involved. MatthewFoldy.com slash GOTV. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>